0: Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord
1: by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's our guest speaker with this week's message.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that and welcome to the third service. It's great to be back here. Last time I was here, uh, Brandon had asked me to teach on my book called The Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Revealing the Ancient Prophecy of Elam, Prophecy Dealing with Iran in Jeremiah chapter 49. He would ask me this time to speak about the Millennium Prophecies and the New Jerusalem, which is a book I've written on the fifth book of a series. I'll show you that in just a moment. So there's actually when Jesus comes at the second coming... There's four distinct time periods we're going to look at today. You've got a 75-day interval you see up on the screen. <clears throat> Jesus is going to mop up the mess from a planet that's essentially been destroyed from the tribulation judgments. 75 days to do that. Many things will be going on during that interval. In the millennium, he's gonna co he's gonna reign and rule over the earth for a thousand years. After Math age, he's gonna have a white throne judgment when the, all the unbelievers from all time will be judged and sent to their fate. And then after that, you have the eternal order, when God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son will dwell together with all the believers in the eternal state. So we're going to look at those. This is the fifth book in an end-time series I call the Here to Eternity series. It escorts the reader from now on through to the tribulation period, on into the millennium, and, and to the eternal order. <clears throat> the now prophecies is the prophecies that could happen at the present time. Some of the things you saw in the Prophecy Update video uh, have prophetic implications, especially things dealing with Iran and the Palestinians. The next book, Prophecies, have some preconditions to them, but they're stage setting right now. And then the last Prophecies cover the first half of the Tribulation, the seven-year Tribulation, the first three and a half years. The final Prophecies cover the second three and a half years of the seven-year Tribulation. And then the topic today, the Millennium Prophecies, and New Jerusalem. Now the last prophecies and the final prophecies dealing with the tribulation, God ex- executes his wrath on a Christ-rejecting humanity through a series of 21 judgments, seals, trumpets, and bowls, and essentially devastates the planet. In fact, I read about this in the Millennium Prophecies. <clears throat> Excuse me. The seven seal, seven trumpet, and seven bowl judgments in the book of Revelation devastate the planet. Rivers, streams, and oceans are turned into blood, in Revelation 8 and 16. Scorching heat and global wildfires destroy much of the world's vegetation. Topping it off, a great earthquake shakes the earth, and 100-pound hailstones pummel the planet, in Revelation chapter 16. These two events cause every island to disappear, and mountains to no longer be found. Yes, the world will be destroyed. This earth, as we know right now, has an expiration date. And seven years of tribulation will essentially devastate it. According to Isaiah and Peter, here's what we find out. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. That's the imagery he gives us. Peter puts it this way. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So the, the earth is going to be destroyed and it will need to be restored. And it will be. And we'll show you how that happens and when that happens shortly. Now, we're not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, you're not appointed to go through the tribulation period and go through all that devastation that we just showed up there. Because you're saved from the wrath of God to come according to Romans 5, 8-9. It's Jesus who delivers us from this wrath that will come. God has not appointed us as believers in the church to this wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're actually going to be kept from the hour of trial of that tests the whole world during that tribulation period. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you're to comfort one another with these words because you're going to escape all that. Jesus is going to rapture his believers, but only his believers. It could happen at any given time. It's an imminent event. As you see the signs of the times on that video, you saw the prophecy updates. You can see that the hour is definitely toward the end of time right now. Now, let me ask you this question. If Do you know, show of hands, If do you know anybody who you love that's in your sphere of influence, your family, your neighborhood, your work influences, that if Jesus were to come right now, they're not saved and you're concerned that they'd be left behind? Okay. They would go through all the devastation that we won't go through if you're a believer. And so for that, we put together all these books and DVDs into a thumb drive called the Spiritual Survival Kit for those left behind. It includes the books and the DVDs that go with them and a Bible because what's going to transpire after this, uh, the rapture, there'll be no more online Bibles, no more Brandon Holt's house sermons on YouTube that'll all be censored and taken off. So people are going to need to have information available to them. So we have this flash drive, I have one here. We've got one left, we sold them out at the table. And uh, it has all that information on it, you can put it in your pocket, you can download it on your laptop, you can download it on a cell phone with a cord. So it becomes a tool that you can leave to someone you love that you raised your hand for so that they could learn how to get saved in the tribulation. Because many people will get saved, fortunately, in the tribulation, but at a great cost of martyrdom. And they can also learn how to survive the events that are gonna forth So I won't be talking about the tribulation. I'm gonna be shifting our attention beyond that point into the millennium when Jesus returns after his second coming. And to start that, I'm gonna play a trailer to the book and DVD, which will help sort of set the, the groundwork for what I'm going to talk about.
1: Jesus Christ is returning to establish his 1,000 year kingdom. He will restore the earth to Garden of Eden-like conditions. The Christian Church will reign alongside its Messiah. The Millennium Prophecies and the New Jerusalem book and DVD by author Bill Salus reveals the prophecies that will find fulfillment in this incredible messianic age. Satan, the Antichrist, and false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. Israel will expand territorially as the Jews multiply like sand on the seashore. Father Abraham, King David, and all the Old Testament saints, along with the tribulation saints, will be resurrected. Messiah the monarch will rule the nations with a rod of iron. There will be one pure language and peace worldwide. Instantaneous answers to prayers, no more blindness or deafness, and the crippled will walk. Even little children will play with the serpents and wild animals. This is only part of the great news. Then comes the eternal order when there will be a brand new heaven and earth with no more pain, sorrow or death. God the Father and Jesus Christ will be present together dwelling amongst their believers during this period and they will dwell in a city of gold called the New Jerusalem. In these troubling times people need a ray of hope And that's exactly what the Millennium Prophecies and the New Jerusalem book and DVD offers. Pick up your copy today.
0: So Jesus Christ returns, and he's got to mop up the mess of what has just happened during the tribulation period. And he's going to take 75 days to accomplish many things. We're going to look at what those things are. But here's the proof text that even tells us about the 75-day interval. We find out in Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. It says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So we'll stop there, look at the image, and do the math. The tribulation period is very compartmentalized. It's seven years. The first half is three and a half years, or 1,260 days, as is the second half, three and a half years, 1,260 days. Jesus Christ returns after the second half of the 1260 days, but Daniel's saying there's 1290 days to watch. Now the abomination of desolation he's spoken about is going to be put in the third Jewish temple, which is not built yet, but it will be built. And he installs that, the Antichrist, puts his abomination of desolation right at the midpoint of the tribulation. Then you have 1260 days until the second coming of Jesus Christ. But here's Daniel saying, well, whoa, there's an extra 30 days that surpasses that 1,260 days, and the abomination of desolation is still going to be standing in the Jewish temple, meaning Jesus Christ will be here for 30 days, and that will still be standing in the Jewish temple, the third Jewish temple. He goes on to say, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, so he adds another 45 days. So you have 1,335 days minus the 1,260, you have a 75-day interval period of time to which many things will be happening. Now the abomination of desolation that's going to be standing for the extra thirty days, some people believe that's actually the image of the beast. It'll be still be set up in the temple and standing there. The image that people will be worshipping that take the mark of the beast. If you're familiar with Revelation thirteen. So Dr. Tony Garland says the act of entering the holy place, the Jewish temple, and setting up the image of the Antichrist, the beast Is most likely what Jesus had in mind as the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place. Dr. Thomas Ice says the same thing. The abomination of desolation includes the setting up of a statue or image of himself, the beast, the Antichrist, that he may be worshipped in place of God. So imagine that. Jesus is on the scene. The world's been destroyed. People with the mark of the beast are still running around on the planet. They have to be judged. We'll get into that. And the abomination of desolation, probably the image of the beast, Is still erected and standing in the Third Jewish Temple, so that kind of gives you a picture of the scene of Jesus returning, and here's what he's inheriting. So, what is he going to do to mop up the mess and restore law and order and things in the seventy-five day interval? He's going to immediately he's going to take the Antichrist and the false prophet and cast them into the lake of fire. He's going to bind Satan, have an angel bind Satan for a thousand years. Into the bottomless pit, not the lake of fire, but the abyss, the bottomless pit. He's going to restore the earth because he has to, for him to rule and reign on the planet. He's going to return the Jewish remnant, the faithful Jewish remnant of Israel. He's going to resurrect all the Old Testament and tribulation saints, people who have died and gone on, tribulation saints who will die in the tribulation for not receiving the mark of the beast. There'll be a period of mourning for Jesus, the Messiah. In Israel, there'll be the end of the abomination and desolation. The image of the beast will be taken down. And the millennial temple, there'll be a fourth Jewish temple. The millennial temple will be established. There'll be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And then there'll be a sheep and goat Gentile judgment, which we'll talk about all those things as we go. Let's start with the first thing Jesus is going to do after the Antichrist tries to put together his armies to do battle against Jesus Christ in what's commonly called the Battle of Armageddon. It says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, Jesus Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast, that's the Antichrist, was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now the lake of fire... For all intents and purposes, doesn't exist just yet, but it will exist, and these will be the first two inhabitants. And they'll go in; they'll be cast alive, because you're going to find out you don't get cast in the lake of fire dead, only alive. And we'll get into that now. When an unbeliever dies presently, they depart from their body, the material aspect of their existence, and their soul, as an unbeliever, goes into hell. But the lake of fire is going to be another topic that we, we hell, will give way to as we get going along further in our talk. So the first two inhabitants in the lake of fire are going to be the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now meanwhile, the other member of the counterfeit trinity, Satan, he's got to be dealt with as well. So we find in Revelation 20 that John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, a millennial. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And shut him up and put a seal on him so that he could, should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. So a couple of notes to take here. An angel comes, an ordinary na- angel, a no-name angel. We're not told it's Michael or any angel we'd be familiar with. And he has a chain and he bounds Satan up in this chain. Now remember, Satan is very powerful, right? How All of a sudden now he's descended down so bad by the end of the tribulation that even just an ordinary angel can take and bind him and put him into the abyss for a thousand years. Pretty astounding how far he falls so rapidly at the end. But also, it says that uh, he shall shall deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. He'll be released and he will deceive the nations again We'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's in the aftermath age, but right now the devil will be bound for a thousand years at the second coming. Presently, John 1 John 5:19 says that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, the devil. He's manipulating things. He's the world is under the sway. He's influencing the sin nature of men and women. Now, in the millennium, the people who go into the millennium are still going to have a sin nature. You're going to see that Christ has to rule with a rod of iron. There'll still be a sin nature. They'll carry their baggage in with them. The same garden variety of sins will still be in place at that time. But these will be believers who inherit the kingdom. We'll tell you who they are in just a moment. But what they won't be able to say, that people can say right now, is the devil made me do it. Because the devil won't make him do it, because the devil will be bound for a thousand years. So then Jesus has to restore the earth. Peter talked, and Isaiah talked about the devastation to the earth, but they also talk about the restored earth. And this is a restored earth, not a new earth. This is the earth we are presently on that needs to be restored. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Christ's ruling will be ruling in righteousness. Isaiah says in chapter 65, For behold, I create a new heavens, And a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So they're going to be restored. That's one of the big tasks that Jesus has to do initially before he can set up his millennial kingdom. And he's got to rescue the faithful Jewish remnant. There will be a Jewish remnant that will be in exile. The Antichrist is going to be trying to persecute and commit genocide of the Jewish people, we find out in Zechariah 13.8. It shall come pass in the land of Israel, that says the Lord that two-thirds of the Jewish population and it shall be cut off and die. But one-third, we call them the faithful Jewish remnant, they shall be left in it. So the Antichrist, right now there's 15 million Jews approximately in the world. Many of them will make their way over to Israel by this time. And this will be much worse Holocaust than what Hitler did in World War II. Very bad situation. But one-third will survive, and we find out about them in Zechariah 13.9. But I will bring one-third through the fire, Will find them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested and they will call on my name and I'll answer them and they will say this is my people and I will say this is my people and each one will say the Lord is my God. Now here's the process here. When Jesus first came, he was rejected by the leadership of Israel and he said in Matthew 23, you will not see me again until you say as a nation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord this third of the faithful Jewish remnant who survived the Holocaust of the Antichrist, they're going to be in exile and they're going to be in Southern Jordan, a place called Petra. And the Antichrist is going to be coming down with all of his armies in the Armageddon campaign. He's going to be trying to kill that final third of the Jewish people. He wants to kill them all. And they're going to realize, Hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and he will come for them. And he will rescue that one third. Now, as you probably realize, the Jewish people today as a nation generally don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. That's one of the reasons they want to build their third Jewish temple. But this remnant, in their affliction, will realize Jesus is the Messiah and they need him desperately to rescue them from the onslaught of the Antichrist. So they become all Israel and fulfill this prophecy in Romans 11, 26-27. Just one third. And so all Israel will be saved because that's all that's left of Israel. There's the nation at this point in exile. And as it's written, the deliverer, Jesus, will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the Jews will not be eliminated. Jesus will rescue the remnant. And he has to because God made an unconditional covenant with their patriarchal father Abraham 4,000 years ago. He said in Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and you will, will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as many as the sand which is on the seashore. So he promised Abraham, which goes on through his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, on through the twelve tribes of Israel, on through the Jewish people, that they would be a chosen people. They would become a great nation with a multitude of population, and that has not happened yet. That still has to find fulfillment. And it will require the Messianic Kingdom of the millennium to find its fulfillment. That's when it will happen. A nation of that magnitude has to have a lot of land, a lot more than Israel presently, which is about the size of New Jersey. You couldn't put as many people as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore into the little tiny Israel. But when they get the promised land all given to them at the, at the time of the second coming, you see a map of it. It's Abraham was promised all of this land in Genesis fifteen eighteen from the river of Egypt, probably the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates, which courses today through modern-day Iraq and Syria. So it's almost 36 times the size of modern-day Israel. And they will fulfill this prophecy. The Jewish remnant will multiply, and they will have, through the thousand-year period, they will have descendants, lots of descendants, and they will fill up all that land and become a great nation in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. Now, as Jesus is rescuing the remnant and bringing them back to Israel, it's going to be restored. Along the way, they're going to run into Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob, David, Paul, not Paul, Paul's New Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah. It says they're going to run into the Old Testament saints because they're going to be resurrected in a 75-day interval. What a joyful time. They're going to come back. They're going to find out who their ancestors were. They're going to find out what their tribal territories are where they're going to go into the millennium, where they're going to live, where they're going to repopulate. It's going to be joyful. Here's a proof text on this, Isaiah 26:19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your do is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So there's going to be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Another proof text in Daniel 12. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And we'll talk about them at the white throne judgment. Those are the unbelievers. So the Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected. They're going to join with the Jewish remnant. And so will the tribulation saints. Some of the tribulation saints who get killed during the tribulation will be Jewish. Some of them will be Gentile. But they become believers. They don't take the mark of the beast. They are martyred for their faith. These are the people that we are concerned about that might get left behind. Hopefully they will receive Jesus if they do get left behind, but they will do so at a great cost of potential martyrdom. Here's a proof text on their resurrection. Revelation chapter 20 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those, that's who we're talking about, the tribulation saints, who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So they conclude the first resurrection. Part of the first resurrection is the church gets raptured, resurrected into eternal bodies. And then you got the two witnesses get resurrected. Uh, The Old Testament saints get resurrected. And then these guys get resurrected. And that concludes the first resurrection. There's a second resurrection, which we'll talk about, but that's not for the saved people. That's the white throne judgment. That happens a thousand years later. It says until a thousand years. Now these guys are going to live and reign with Jesus Christ during the millennium for a thousand years. But their role is going to be different than ours if you're a believer in the church age right now. We have an entirely different role than these guys are going to have. These guys were told in Revelation chapter 7 will be serving God in the temple, Jesus in the temple, day and night. So they're going to be stewarding the temple, uh, serving Jesus Christ in the, in the millennial temple, which we'll be talking about. So that's their function. They refused the mark of the beast, and they therefore were martyred, but they will be restored and resurrected. Now when the Jewish remnant and the Old Testament saints and the Jewish people within the tribulation saints, when they're all together, they're going to mourn Jesus Christ. We're told there'll be a period of mourning, It's going to take place also in the 75-day interval, in my estimation. Zechariah 12 says it this way, And I, Jesus, will pour on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look upon me, whom they had pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So amidst the joy of coming together being brought back to their homeland, getting their homeland increased, running into their ancestors, people that may have lost during the tribulation, that are resurrected again, family members, and they're all going to come together and collectively mourn Jesus Christ as the firstborn, whom they had pierced. So that's going to be something also interplaying during the 75-day interval as they're being regathered into their homeland. So we've looked at how busy Jesus has been. He's cast the Antichrist into the lake of fire, had an angel bound Satan, restored the earth, returns the Jewish remnant, resurrects the Old Testament saints, resurrects the Tribulation saints. They're mourning him. Now let's look at that. Remember we talked about that abomination of desolation, the image of the beast. Amidst all these things going on, that's still standing in the third Jewish temple. He's got to get rid of that because he's got to set up the Millennial Temple. So let's look at that, where that's going to be and how that's going to happen. So he's going to end the abomination of desolation. He's going to take down the image of the beast. And at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. So Jesus is going to reign and rule from Jerusalem. That's where his throne will be. When will that be? When the Son of Man comes in his glory, with all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So... Let's talk about the millennial temple because that's where the throne is actually going to be situated in Jerusalem, the throne therein. And we're told in Ezekiel 43, The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Let's stop there for a minute. The glory of God the Father is going to fill the temple. It's called the Shekinah glory. and But God the Father himself will not be dwelling on the earth at this time, because there's still going to be sin. And God can't dwell in the midst of sin, God the Father. Jesus Christ will be dwelling amidst the, on the earth at that time. He'll be ruling. But only God's Shekinah glory, as I interpret this, which will be in the temple, will be during the millennial kingdom, not God personally. He will show up in the eternal order, God the Father. It says, Then I heard him speaking, To me from the temple, while a man stood beside me, and he said to me, "Son of man, this is the place of my throne. That's where Jesus will be in the temple in Jerusalem, and the place of the soles of my feet, Jesus' feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So that's where Jesus' throne will be, and there will be a millennial temple. That'll be the fourth temple, the fourth Jewish temple. There's been three. There's been two already. One is forthcoming, and then the fourth one will be forthcoming after the third one." The first temple was the Solomonic Temple, that was destroyed back in 587 B.C. second temple, the Herodian Temple, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. The third temple is going to be the Tribulation Temple. The Jews are already making plans to build this. They're going to re-implement sacrifices and offerings. That seems to get destroyed by Jesus Christ himself shortly after his second coming, apparently happening around the 30th day of the 75-day interval when he takes down the abomination, of desolation. The fourth temple is the millennial temple we just talked about. Now, it's going to get destroyed when the earth flees away at the white throne judgment during the aftermath age. We'll get to this. The restored earth is going to give way to a new earth and a new heaven, but it's going to be restored for the millennial kingdom. The fifth temple will not exist because in the eternal order, Revelation 21 tells us, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Father, Almighty and the Lamb, the only begotten Son, are its temple. So there will actually be no fifth temple. Now, as we conclude the 75-day interval, we're going to talk about the judgment that's going to happen between the sheep and the goat Gentiles. Sheep being the believers who received Christ during the tribulation period. The goats being the unbelievers, most of them marked with the mark of the beast who decided to worship the Antichrist and render themselves unredeemable. They will need to be judged. So it says in Matthew 25... When the Son of Man comes in the glory with all of His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne of His glory. We know that will be in Jerusalem in the temple. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Let's look at the sheep first. He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Now the right hand is a position of honor. The believers who become believers in the tribulation and go through all that problems and devastation that survive. He's going to set them on the right hand in a position of honor, and he's going to say to them, the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the messianic kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And I put in the word messianic, but that's what we're talking about, the millennium. So those are the ones who make it through the 1,335 days that Daniel spoke about. Be blessed of those who make it through the 1,335 days Because they're going into the kingdom now. They're the believers, the sheep Gentiles. And here's what he says to them. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, there's a digression of events here that I want to look at. The sheep Gentiles were sort of like, if you remember, Oscar Schindler during the Holocaust, uh, against a lot of potential persecution, he actually helped save a lot of Jewish people from Hitler's Holocaust and from genocide. Well, there'll be these chief Gentiles will be sort of like that. They'll be helping at a time uh, of the genocidal campaign of the Antichrist in the second half of the tribulation. And notice if Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, and he goes, and I was homeless. There's nakedness and you clothed me, I was there was sickness, and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. So, look at the digression of events. These are people who don't take the mark of the beast. In order to buy and sell, in the second half of the tribulation, you have to worship the Antichrist, and as a royalty, as a pledge, or a reward, he will give you his mark upon your right hand or upon your forehead, so that you can buy and sell and participate in his global order and his catchless economy. If you don't have that, you can't buy and sell. So the first thing that's going to happen to these people because they won't take the mark of the beast. Because once you take the mark of the beast, the wrath of God is definitely going to come upon you and you cannot be saved. These people will not take the mark of the beast. And they're going to get hungry because they can't buy and sell. And they're going to get thirsty. When they run out of food and water, they're going to leave their homes in search of that. And they become homeless. And, and then when they get homeless, they take the few garments with them that they can. Those garments who out there experience nakedness. And then when they're naked, they can get sick easier. And then when they're sick, they can easily become prey for the Antichrist and his troops to pick up and imprison. And all along the way, the sheep Gentiles are being commended for the fact that along the way, they gave them food, they gave them drink, they gave them clothing, they gave them a home, they gave them... So they, they helped all that out. Now, Here's what he says. He says, they ask him, well, when did we do all these things? Because he said, when, when I was sick, you did this. When I was thirsty, you did this. So when do we do all that, those acts of kindness? They're asking him. And he says to them, Assuredly, I say unto you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So they were helping the persecuted Jewish people. Probably all the persecuted saints that they could, but some people believe it's mainly dealing with the Jewish people, the remnant. Here's a quote from Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum about this being the brethren, being the Jewish brethren. In the footsteps of the Messiah, he says, In this judgment, all the Gentiles will be divided, into two camps, the pro-Semitic sheep or the anti-Semitic goat camp. The pro-Semites are those who will provide help for Jesus' brethren, the Jews, during the Great Tribulation, a time when it will be very dangerous to do so. How many of you know Jesus was a Jew? So therefore, the Jewish people would be his brethren is the theory here. There's a disciple-brethren theory, which means, you know, People are helping the other disciples of Jesus as his brothers as well who are being persecuted. Because not just the Jews are going to be persecuted for not taking the mark of the beast. Let's turn our attention to the goats, the ones running around on the planet with the mark of the beast until this judgment. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats go on the left side, which is the position of dishonor. He will say to them on the left hand, depart from me, You cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous sheep into eternal life. The the goats, were the same thing was said to them. But they did no acts of kindness when the people were hungry, when they were thirsty. As a matter of fact, they persecuted them and made matters worse for them. And so they did no acts of kindness toward the brethren. And therefore, their destiny is to be slaughtered. This is still part of the sheep and goat judgment gentile that concludes the seventy-five-day interval. These next couple of scriptures are somewhat graphic, not for the faint of heart, but we'll tell you that that's what's going to transpire. Isaiah 66 says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger and his fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and his sword, the Lord shall judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many, not few, many. Not thousands, probably millions, maybe into the billions. However however many marked of the beast people there are surviving through the tribulation. Here's another one that takes it even into a broader perspective. Jeremiah 25. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. And at that day... The slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become his refuge on the ground. Now it sounds pretty harsh, but from God's perspective, here's what you need to know. Second Thessalonians 1 tells us, It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So from God's perspective what he's going to do, Jesus is going to do, is a righteous thing on those who troubled the, the Jews, the remnant and the sheep Gentiles. They troubled them. It's a righteous thing to judge them through the tribulation. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. To be glorified in the saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you is believed. We're actually going to admire the fact that God is doing that. It's a righteous thing for God to do this. At this point we're going to admire him for doing that for punishing all those people who were troubling and persecuting and that sort of thing. It's a little hard to understand but that's our mindset will be at that time. Okay. So we just raced through the 75-day day interval. Jesus is going to be really busy, right? Imagine doing all those things. So now let's go from all that to some really good news for you, the millennium. Good news if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at some of the highlights. Some of them were on the trailer, but we'll review them again. There's going to be a global government that's going to be ruled by Jesus Christ. And there'll be only gladness and rejoicing in the millennial Jerusalem. And the world will be filled with knowledge and glory of the Lord, from sea to shining sea. Many kind-hearted people leading righteous lives. There'll be no more war. There'll be a pure singular language. There'll be instantaneous answer to prayer. There'll be an end of blindness and deafness. Crippled that will walk and leap, and mute who will talk and sing. And it goes on. There'll be no no remembrance of bad events from the past. Places will be restored to Garden of Eden-like conditions. Children will be playing with dangerous animals and snakes. Life will be in the Dead Sea. Gushing waters in wildernesses and streams flowing in deserts. Abundant vegetation. Grain and grapes that grow faster than they can even be harvested. Many vineyards dripping with sweet wine. And robust construction and farming. It's going to be an incredible time an entirely different world. I want to take a moment to... Unpack this restored creation in the millennium. We're told in Isaiah 11, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Now I have some, some images up there with some stuffed animals with kids because you really can't find images on Google with stuffed animals with kids putting their hand in the viper's den. But we're not going to have stuffed animals when this prophecy finds fulfillment. These will be real snakes and real animals that are restored and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, etc. So I, what I find very interesting is the child is being upreared. The nursing child will start there. He's going to The mother's going to nurse the child and then she's going to take the child and put it by the cobra's hole, part of the training of the child. Then after the child has now been weaned, take it a step further and put the child's hand in the viper's den. You wouldn't imagine, it's not advisable right now, (laughs) but everything's different then. Okay, now the child has been nursed and weaned and now it's a little child. And that child shall lead all the animals and the snakes and everything wherever they're going to lead them. That's part of the the child's awareness at that point in time in this recreated world. Okay, let's talk about the global government. We're told in Isaiah 9 that a child is born and unto us a son is given, that's Jesus, and the government will be upon his shoulder, the entire government. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it will be a theocracy, there won't be any schisms between Republicans and Democrats. He will rule the whole world. I'm not trying to get political, I'm just stating a fact here. So enjoy your whatever political party you are now because it won't be happening in the case down the road there. But he's going to rule there, and the government will be upon his shoulders, but he's got to rule with a rod of iron, because there's still going to be a sin nature. There will be no more war. Let's read this in Micah 2. Out of Zion, the law will go forth. That's where Jesus will be. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There'll be no military schools. All the weapons of of warfare will be turned into agricultural tools and implements. We talked about there'll be uh, such a harvest in the millennium. They won't learn any war anymore, but they will have disputes. And Jesus will need to rebuke them, nations from afar, and judge among the nations. And he's going to rule them with a rod of iron, not with a feather not with a wooden staff. And we're going to look at a couple passages here to talk about how he's going to rule in the Messianic kingdom. The Greek words for rod of iron is pomino, robdos, and sideros. And they mean pomino is a shepherd or a pastor. Robdos is a wand, rod, or a scepter, like a staff. And sideros is clearly iron, not wood. So he's going to rule them with a rod of iron. Here's the passages that show us this. She representing Israel bore a male child representing Jesus, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was cut up to God in His throne. That's what happened. Jesus ascended up; He's up there right now. He's going to come back, and He's going to rule. He's destined to rule with a rod of iron, and when He comes back at the second coming, He's going to pull that rod of iron out. We're told in Revelation 19. Now, out of His mouth goes a sharp sword. That with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of and wrath of Almighty God. So he's going to use that rod of iron at Armageddon. He's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to take that rod of iron with him into his government, and he's going to rebuke nations from afar, because there will still be a sin nature, and there'll still be disputes. There'll be no war. There'll be all kinds of great things going on on the planet, but there'll still be disputes. There'll still be a sin nature, and there's actually an age of accountability in the millennium because people will still have to make a choice for Jesus. The chief Gentiles will go into the kingdom, and they'll all be believers. They've already made their choice during the tribulation, and they survived it. But people going into the kingdom, they're going to birth children. They'll have offspring, and those children are going to have to make a decision for Jesus Christ, just like our children have to make a decision for Jesus Christ presently. They don't get saved by our faith. Especially if they had a certain age, whatever that accountability age here. But there's clearly an accountability age in the Messianic Kingdom. Let's talk about that. Isaiah 65. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. So there'll be no infant mortality. There'll be longevity of life. They shouldn't live just a few days. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So in other words, a child has 100 years to make a decision for Christ. If they don't make that decision for Christ in that 100-year period, the day after that, if they die, they die a curse. They die and they would go to hell. So they want to make their decision before that 100 years is up. doesn't mean they're all going to die at 100. But if they don't make a choice by 100, no, they run the risk of passing the age of accountability as a sinner, still unsaved, being sent to hell. Now let's talk about what you're going to be doing if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now. Your role is different than the tribulation saints. You're going to reign as kings and priests with Jesus Christ. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So he's going to make us kings and priests. And we're going to have functions and co-reigning and ruling with him in the capacities of kings and priests. Now kings would be people who, of course, rule over people. We would perhaps help Jesus rule with his rod of iron, help rebuke the nations from afar. But our role as priests would be would be different. It would be a different hat we would wear. Priests do intercession. They preach, they spread the gospel. Remember, the whole world is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Perhaps we will have a role in doing that, helping children make a decision by their age of 100. I don't know exactly what our priesthood would be, but we're going to be kings and priests. That'll be what we're doing during the Messianic Kingdom. Did you know you're a king and a priest? That's what you're going to be, thanks to him. All right, so we've looked at the millennium. Let's look into the aftermath age. This is an unspecified period of time. Remember it said Satan had to be loosed after a thousand years. We also have a white throne judgment we're going to look at. Now when the thousand years have expired, this is Revelation 20. Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number... Get this. It's the sand of the sea. There's lots of a multitude. They went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. That's Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Remember, God's still in heaven, but it's Shekinah glory is on the earth. He's going to shoot down fire from heaven and devour them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. So... Couple of notes here. Satan's bound in the abyss for a thousand years and he doesn't change his ways. He still comes out in this little stint of time and tries to deceive the nations and he's successful. There's enough people who are being tired of being ruled with the rod of iron who've let the sin nature get the better of them. Did not make a decision for Christ. The numbers of the sand of the sea from the breasts of the earth and they're gonna to come together probably with no weapons of warfare because they've all been turned agricultural tools. I mean, we come with pitchforks, I don't know. But they're gonna to come to the beloved city and God's gonna boom, he's gonna take them out with fire. Now, some people think that this Gog and Magog invasion is one and the same with Ezekiel 38, if you're familiar with that prophecy. In my Millennium book and DVD, I give you about six reasons why they're totally different. This is a different prophecy, they just Gog and Magog is a term that's being used there. So Satan then goes to be the third inhabitant of the lake of fire. There you have the entire counterfeit trinity getting what they deserved. Burning in the lake of fire. So now let's talk about the white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So the earth and heaven are going to flee away because remember the sin nature is there. It's got to be dealt with. They're going to try to... God's going to stop this Gog and Magog thing with Satan. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be no more sin. We're going to talk about that in the eternal order. But he's got to deal with that. So here comes this white throne judgment. Who's seated upon the throne, and where is it located? We find out that who's seated on the throne, who's going to do the judgment, is Jesus Christ himself. John 5, verse 22 says, The Heavenly Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, Jesus Christ. Another text on that, Acts 10, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is to Jesus Christ, who was ordained by God to judge of the living and to be the judge of the living and of the dead. So it's clear that Jesus will be the one seated on the white throne doing the final act of judgment on all the unsaved believers. So what's going to happen is all the unsaved believers throughout all of time, there'll be billions of them, They've, they're going to be brought together, resurrected to stand before Jesus Christ at a white throne. Where is this white throne going to be since there's no more heaven and earth? Some people speculate it could be like a suspended city. I don't know exactly where it is, but I know he's going to be doing the judging. and That's Jesus Christ. So what's going to happen in this second resurrection? The sea gave up its dead who were in it. Death and Hades, that would represent hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. All these unbelievers are going to be judged according to their works. They'll have no advocate. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. They have no advocate. All they have is their works, and they're going to be asked, well, how'd you feel about Jesus Christ? Why didn't you accept him? You know, you, you thought your works would save you, but your works did not save you. So the, the death and Hades are going to give up all the dead, and death and Hades were then cast into the lake of fire. So death and Hades, hell at this point, is going to be banished. There'll be no more zip code of hell. See, because when someone dies, an unbeliever, their soul goes to hell. But they don't go there alive. Just Their body's dead. But these guys are going to be resurrected. There'll be no more need for hell because there's no more... Everybody's going to be resurrected and they're either going to go into the kingdom or they're going into the lake of fire. And these people here are all going to go into the lake of fire, you'll see in just a minute. So there's no more need for hell. So that is a temporary geography. It's going to be gone at this point in time at the aftermath age. And this is the second death. Anyone not found it in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All these guys are going to be cast into the lake of fire. All these unbelievers. They will then meet up with their counter Trinity, but, but before we go there, why do they need to be resurrected? Because this has got to be fulfilled in Philippians 2. Therefore God, the Heavenly Father, also as the highly exalted Jesus Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth in hell, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everyone is going to take a knee and make a confession that Jesus Christ really is the Lord. Now, if you're a believer, you've done that. You've confessed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord. You believe in your heart. You confess with your lips Jesus is the Lord, and you believed in your heart God raised Him from the dead. It says in Romans ten, and you shall be saved. You made your confession, and your your judgment is not at the white throne. These are all unbelievers. Your judgment is in. We're told in Second Corinthians five ten, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat judgment. It's more of a reward ceremony for us. That that'll happen way before this happens, shortly after the rapture, and it takes place in heaven. These guys are not part of that. They've been in hell all this time. They're going to be resurrected. And they're going to realize, looking at the judge on the white throne, yeah, you're the Lord. But this is not an altar call. This is why we're concerned about those who get left behind who need this and other information, that they, they don't get left behind and go through this. You do not want your loved one here. Because what happens is they get cast in the lake of fire along with the counterfeit trinity. And that is the second death. They are no longer able to ever be in the presence of God the last presence of God they'll be in is when they sit before Jesus on the white throne and after that they will never be in the have any presence of God whatsoever they'll be living with all these bad people and they'll be alive because no one gets into the lake of fire dead only into hell and hell will be gone if I've made myself clear on that okay now <clears throat> I like to go from the bad news back to the good news we will send you out of here on a On a high note. Because if you're a believer, this is where you're going to be. Eternal order. A few highlights. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, not a restored one. There will be a new new holy city called the New Jerusalem. And God the Father will dwell amongst his people. So he will actually dwell God the Father and Jesus Christ. Because the sin issue has been taken away. God can be on the new heaven and the new earth. And there'll be no more curse of sin, death, sorrow, crying, or pain. All things will be made new. God's people will be treated as sons and become heirs to all things. There'll be no fifth Jewish temple because God and the Lamb are his temple, Jesus Christ. There'll be a crystal clear, pure river of life. There'll be a healing tree of life. Let's talk about the new Jerusalem. John sees this city, this enormous city, coming down from heaven, a city of gold. He says, I, see this, I saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's going to be this city. It's huge. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, which is 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, there's never been a city on this planet that's ever come anywhere near this sort of size, height, etc. Matter of fact, let's put it into perspective. Warren Wiersbe in his expository outline says this. The dimensions and descriptions of the city stagger our imagination. Foursquare means equal on all sides, which may mean that it is a city as a perfect cube, a holy of holies radiant with the presence of God. Or it could be a pyramid... In either case, the city measures about 1,500 miles each way or equivalent to two-thirds the size of the United States. Not only width, but its height as well and length. Now, I'm not saying this city is going to come to the United States, but I'm using that map as an example. Let's talk about the New Jerusalem. It's going to be situated on a great high mountain. It's going to be constructed of pure gold. We have a street of gold, of course. Be filled with the glory of God. Be illuminated by God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. We have a massively high wall of jasper stone. Imagine 1,500 miles of jasper stone. Twelve pearl gates commemorating the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve foundations of precious gemstones named after the apostles. And Revelation 21 lists all the gemstones. And God spares no expense on this city. In the book, I actually do the math on how much you can buy an ounce of these precious gems for. (laughs) Try to imagine how many 1,500 miles of this stuff would be. So the question is, does this New Jerusalem already exist, or is this a future city? Let's look at this. Some think it could exist already. I personally think it does. John says, I saw this city, the New Jerusalem. He didn't say, I saw the blueprint. I saw the city coming down out of heaven. Now, it could be a futuristic vision, but he saw some city. He saw this city. Abraham also saw this city, it looks like. We're told, 4,000 years ago, by faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, the heirs of him with the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So at this time, it looks like Abraham actually... The city actually had foundations already 4,000 years ago. Could it be? Some people think it's a satellite city that exists presently. This is a quote from John Wolvard in his Bible Knowledge Commentary. He says, Many expositors regard the promise of Christ in John 14:2, that says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, as referring to this city, the New Jerusalem, The suggestion has been made that if the New Jerusalem is in existence during the millennial reign of Christ, it may have been suspended in the heavens as a dwelling place for resurrected and translated saints who nevertheless would have immediate access to earth to carry on their functions of ruling with Christ. Dwight Pentecost, for instance, quotes Jennings and William Kenning, and Walter Scott is supporting this concept of the New Jerusalem as a satellite city during the millennium. So at least during the millennium, these guys are thinking it's already going to exist as a satellite city. But could it actually exist right now? Let's go look at this closer, John 14, 2. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. Let's look at the entire context and see if we can get a clue on this. Jesus says to his apostles and disciples something very comforting. He's going to leave, but he's saying to them, let your heart not be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me In my Father's house. Are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not I would have told you. Mansions, not cardboard shanties. This is his father's house. I go to prepare a place for you, a mansion for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now you notice I have your and you in red font. Nine times he very much personalizes this message to you and you and all of you who believe in Jesus Christ, not just to the apostles and disciples. He is actually preparing places, mansions, for his believers. If it were not true, he would not tell you that. That's what he's been doing. Is he done? How many more has he got to build? Who's the last believer that's still holding us all back? Maybe his mansions being under construction right now. If you're in this room, please accept Christ right now. One last guy is going to say, I accept you, Jesus Christ, and we're all going to get up. Go out of here. Okay, so let's see what could be being said there. I write this in the Millennium Prophecies book about the Father's house and the mansions. The mansions are being prepared for you as a believer and are in my Father's house, which places as a location where God the Father Jehovah dwells. According to Revelation 21 and 22, God the Father will dwell... And the eternal order among his people, in the golden city of the new Jerusalem. So he's either dwelling there now, or he's at least going to dwell there then. Perhaps he's dwelling there right now. Perhaps this is the zip code that Jesus Christ is presently preparing a place for you right now. I think, it, I think that's the case. So if we're here today, the rapture could happen at any given moment, and tomorrow we could be in the new Jerusalem, in your mansion. So we'll take a quick review. We've looked at the four specific time frames, 75-day interval where Jesus mops up the mess of the destroyed planet, the millennium where we co-reign, and he rules and reigns for a thousand years, and we co-reign with him, the aftermath age where all sin is dealt with at the White Throne Judgment, hell is is eradicated, the lake of fire receives all of its final inhabitants, and then the eternal order where the new Jerusalem will descend, and we will be there. Let's pray. Lord, we pray and thank you so much for this time together. We thank you that you've come into our lives and shown yourself to us and given us the opportunity to receive you as our, as our Savior, that we have this glorious future ahead of us, that you'd actually make us kings and priests, that we could co-reign with you. What an honor. We cast our crowns before you. We're not deserving. You paid the full price on the cross for our salvation. We're so thankful. If there's anyone in this room who has not received you, Lord, I do pray for them. I pray that they would realize in Romans 10, it says, if they would just confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, that they shall be saved and not put to shame, they should receive the gift of their salvation, as we have done who believe in you here in this room. We thank you so much for your offer of salvation to us and all that you do to give us an abundant life as we live right now in these end times. We pray for all everyone in this room that as we go forward that we can be blessed by what we've heard today because our future is bright in Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a
0: blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.